There are two passages of scriptures primarily that I want us to look at tonight. If you've already got the Matthew 22nd open, just uh, hold your finger or put your Bible marker there. And I want you to look to, first of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. When we looked at the church as the bride of Christ a couple of weeks ago, there were two passages of scripture that I intended to include in that message, and I did not. And I wanted to come back tonight and hit those two passages as well as some other related scriptures. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this uh, shows you, again, the, the, the bride and the church is the bride and, and Christ is the bridegroom. Verse 2 of chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. In the second verse, he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid, I'm afraid lest as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, just thinking about those passages, it is so easy for a Christian to be lured back into the way of the world or to have worldly influence. I think that's why uh, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 that we're not to love the world. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When we come to Christ, there's a separation we die to the world. More than a separation, it's really a death. We die to the world. And we are we're crucified uh, to the world. And we, are, uh, we, we now have a new love, and that love is a, rela- a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have been betrothed to Him. We have been pledged into a committed love to Jesus Christ. And when Paul led the people in the church at Corinth to faith in Christ. Uh, He did that, that they might be presented to the Lord one day as a pure virgin. And that only comes about because of the blood of Christ who cleanses us from all of our sins. And when we get to heaven, uh, our blood has been paid for, our sin has been paid for by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be presented before the Lord as blameless and pure And we are to, because that's what is going to be our condition in heaven, we need to make that our condition on earth. We need to walk in purity. We need to uh, remove from ourselves those things that defile us. And we need to be very careful and guard our hearts from the allurements of the world because the world continues to have an impact on us as we live in this world. We have to deal daily with the passions of the flesh, the the lust of the flesh, the desires, the evil desires of the flesh. We still live in an unredeemed body. We've been saved in our spirit. If you've been born again and come to faith in Christ, we've been saved in our spirit, but we still, our bodies are unredeemed and our our minds need to be renewed. They're unrenewed. We have unrenewed minds that need to be made new. How do we do that? Well, it's through the Word of God, by putting truth into our hearts and minds. And it's living by that truth. Putting off the clothes of the old man, the the person we were outside of Christ, 
<clears throat> put on the new man, put on the clothes that characterize Christ and his righteousness. And so I say to you tonight as your pastor, <clears throat> just as the Apostle Paul, who had a pastor's heart, was concerned about his people, that they would be affected uh, by, that they would be deceived, even as Eve was deceived there in the Garden of Eden by the craftiness of Satan. If we're not careful, we can be deceived. We can begin to say, well, it won't hurt a little bit here and a little bit there, and you know, nobody's perfect. We start making excuses, and we start compromising. We start bending, and before you know it, the, the, the world begins to just creep back into our lives. The philosophies of the world, the pleasures of the world, the things that the world loves. The world is the world system that we live in. And it's a godless world system. And, and the things that the world says will give you happiness. The things that the world says will give you great pleasure and will make you successful and make you happy and fulfilled. What the world offers us does not measure up. The world offers, is deceptive. What the world offers us is the deception of Satan himself. And we must not believe the lies of the devil. We must believe the truth of God's word. Now let's go to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22. In this chapter, three times Jesus is approached twice by the Pharisees and once by the Sadducees. And uh, they're trying to trick him. They're trying to back him into a corner. They're trying to ask him hard questions to see if they can get him to contradict himself or to contradict the law of Moses actually is what they're trying to do. To say something that will get him trouble with, with the people because uh, they're, they're just trying to trap him and Jesus is uh, not to be trapped. He's the one that uh, has given us the entire word and he knows how to rightly interpret it and how rightly to apply it. We see in verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence. That's when they asked him about the man that had uh, the, the wife, rather, that had seven husbands. All of her husbands had died. They were all brothers, by the way. If you didn't have children, then uh, the way the law was that uh, if, if you died, if a man died and he had a brother, he gave his wife to that brother. And then if that man died, he gave it to his... And this man, there were seven brothers. And so the hypothetical question was, if this woman had seven husbands and then she dies, then who's going to be her husband in the resurrection? And Jesus answered that question by saying, well, there's not going to be marriage relationships in heaven. We're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not going to be husbands and wives. <clears throat> and so it doesn't matter that this woman had seven husbands who all preceded her in death because in heaven we're going to be the family of God and we will relate to one another in a different way than we relate to each other on this earth. And so we come now to verse 34, and the Pharisees had heard how he had put the Sadducees to silence and they gathered themselves together. Verse 35 says, And one of them, a lawyer, he's called a scribe in Mark's gospel, and a, and a scribe was a person who was an authority in the law, and they interpreted the law. It's not talking about the same kind of lawyers that, that we have today. It's talking about a person 
when it's talking about the law, it's talking about the law of the Old Testament. And a person that was an expert in the law, this scribe came and asked him a question, testing him. Verse 36, here's the question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Talking about the Mosaic law given in the first five books of the Old Testament. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. So he turns the tables and he goes into asking them a question. And we'll look at his question on another occasion. Let's pray and then look at some Uh, some insights from this passage. Father, as we come tonight to look at uh, this definition of the greatest law, what is the greatest commandment, Father? We just pray, I pray, God, that you'd give us a, a greater understanding of what it means to love you, Lord, with all of our heart, whole heart, soul, mind, and our strength. And that we love our neighbors, ourselves. That we be a people that are consumed by love for God and love for other people. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that there are any, if there's anything in our lives that stand between us and our love for you, Lord, if there's anything that's distracting us from pure devotion to you, anything that this world is dangling before us that's enticing us, Father, and stands to come between us and you, I pray that we would put that away pray that we would be fully devoted to you, that our love would be undiminished, that our love would be uh, full and focused, and we'd love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The core of the Christian life, the whole center of the Christian life, has to deal with loving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. The Christian life is about loving Christ. It's a relationship of love between the believer and Christ, and as we've been learning, between his church, the bride of Christ, and, the, and then the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Today, the focus seems to be more on man's fulfillment, what we can do to be fulfilled, and, and uh, we, we, we concentrate more on us rather than loving Christ. It's what can be done for me. We've become very man-centered even in our worship. We've become man-centered in our, in our religion. We've become man-centered in our church life. We're looking to what will lift me up, what will fulfill me, what will uh, fulfill all the hopes of my heart and my life and, and how I can be successful. And yet the focus should be on not me, but on Christ and our loving the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is about loving Christ singularly, It means it's about loving Christ totally. It's about loving Christ sacrificially. It's about loving Christ obediently, worshipfully, and loving Him by serving Him. That's how we show our love for Jesus Christ. And so we need to evaluate our love for Christ. It's very easy not only to be led astray, but also, as it says in Revelation chapter 2, it's easy to leave our first love. Christ is our first love. And it's very easy to leave that first love relationship. 
Here in Matthew 27, verses 37 to 40, we see that the sum of the whole Old Testament law is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors, ourselves. That means that we're to love Christ comprehensively. We're to love Him totally. We're to love Him completely. And if it's the sum of the law of the Old Testament, it certainly ought to be the sum of our relationship with Jesus Christ is to love the Lord our God. It is still the purpose of God that we love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not just Old Testament. It's not just when the New Testament was written, but it is today in our Christian lives. It's all about loving Christ. So much that we want to know Him, that we want to exalt Him, that we want to please Him in our lives, that we want to serve Him, that we want to be with Him, we want to fellowship with Him, we want to tell others about Him. It's why we read our Bibles, it's because we love Christ. It's why we come to church, it's because we love Christ. It's not just to be with our friends, it's not just to be with our Sunday school class that we enjoy, being with people that we love, but it's about loving Christ most of all, first and foremost. I want to ask you a question tonight. How much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you growing in your love for Christ? Do you love Him more today than you did the day He saved you? Or is your love diminished? Do you love Him more than in the past? Do do you desire to please Him more and to know Him more than you have in the past? In Philippians 3.10, the Apostle Paul said, speaking of Christ, he says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. The Apostle Paul had come to know Christ in a saving relationship, but he wanted to grow in that knowledge and grow in that love. He wanted to grasp every reality concerning Christ. He wanted to understand every word that Jesus taught. He wanted to understand every deed that Jesus did. He wanted to know the purposes of Christ. He wanted to know fully the redemption of Christ and to, gra- and to grasp completely the mind of Christ and to know what Jesus thought about everything. Paul was driven to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He was driven to exalt Him, to honor Him and to proclaim Him. He said, I preach Christ, we preach Christ and Him crucified. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, look with me. Matthew chapter 10. Go back a few chapters. Matthew 10, verse 37. Notice what Jesus says. It says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. We must love Christ more than we love the most natural of our family relationships. It means that our love for Christ is even to be far superior than that of our love for our wives, love for our children, love for other family members, and that's not, that's not a a negative statement to make. It doesn't mean we're not to love our parents and we're not to love our husbands and wives. We're to love our family members. That is natural. That's, we're we're told to love. Jesus told 
husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. But our love for Christ is the most supreme of all loves in our life. We need to love Christ to the point that we're willing to take up our cross and lose our life and even to deny our own selves in order to follow after Jesus Christ. Sometimes those family relationships can stand in the way of a person following Christ. There are some instances in the Bible where there are people that, uh, that instead of following Christ, when he invited them to come follow him, he said, well, let, I've, got a, I've married a wife and I've got to uh, go take care of her. You know, they always had some other excuses. There were some other things that they loved more than they loved Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the Apostle Paul said, the love, for the love of Christ controls us. That means motivates us, drives us. It was the driving force in the Apostle Paul's life. In Ephesians 6, 24, the Bible says, Grace be with, you all, be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love, a love that's untainted, a love that's, that's uncompromised. We're to love Him fully. We're to love Him with an uncorruptible love. Sin corrupts our, our love for Christ. We need a, a love that is uncompromising, a love that's incorruptible, a love that's undying, a love that is total and committed and full. Peter, in writing in the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.8 said, And though you have not seen him, you love him. There were many like us today who have, we have not seen Christ. Now the disciple Peter and the Apostle Paul, others, they, they saw Christ. The Apostle Paul saw Christ in his resurrected form uh, in a special appearance that he made, that Jesus made to Paul on that road to Damascus. And he, the, the disciples who saw him crucified and they saw him resurrected, they saw him with their eyes. We have not seen him, but the Bible says, Peter said, and though you have not seen him, you love him. We love a Christ that we've never seen, but we've read about him. And we have read the testimony of others who have seen him. And so we have the confidence that we are able to love someone that we've never even seen before. But one day we will see him. One day we'll see him face to face. When we get to heaven, we will see the Lord that died for us. We'll see the Lord that taught us and gave us the word. We'll see the Lord that placed his spirit within us. And we will be united with one, with the Lord Jesus, and we will experience that marriage supper of the Lamb, that great marriage feast, where we, our, wed, our wedding to Christ, our marriage to Christ, in the spiritual sense, is going to be consummated, is going to be complete, and we will forever be with the, with the Lord that we love when we get to heaven. In 1 John 4, 16... The Bible says we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. That means we know that God loves us. And in verse 19 it says we love because he first loved us. In 1 Corinthians 16, 22, the verse that we looked at a couple of Sundays ago, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Let him be accursed. Those who do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what's the definition of a Christian? It's loving Christ singularly, completely, selfishly. 
to the degree that you're willing to deny yourself, to abandon everything that you have, even hate your own self, deny your own self. It means that you're willing to say goodbye to your family, to your friends, and to fame and fortunes, if necessary, to love Him singularly, where you desire to obey Him, honor Him, serve Him, and proclaim Him. Now, most of us are not called to literally leave our families. But there are some people that to come to Christ, it means leaving their families. And for a Jew in the first century, it most definitely, it meant losing your job because usually your job was connected with your family. When you came to faith in Christ, you were ostracized by your family. You were considered even as dead by your family. You were cut off from your family. Usually it meant the loss of income because your business was tied in with your family, whether it be farming or some other type of trade. And many of those who came to follow Christ had to actually leave their families to follow Christ. Again, we're fortunate. We live in a culture where that's not the norm, and yet I've known people who have been rejected by their families because they came and to become a follower of Jesus Christ. They, they, they counted the cost, and they uh, gave their life to Jesus and became a Christian. And there are people that live even in these United States. Maybe you know of someone whose family rejected them because they came to Christ. I've known of teenagers who have put their faith in Christ. They go home and tell their parents and their parents laugh at them. Their parents mock them. Their parents make fun of them. I've known of parents who would not let their uh, teenage daughter or son be, be baptized as a follower of Jesus Christ because they did not want their son or daughter to follow Christ and to be one of his, one of his disciples. And so today there still sometimes are those who, who must leave their, those that they love. They must choose Christ over every other relationship in their lives. Let's look at a few other a few of the scriptures that tell us what it means to love Jesus Christ. Really, if I had to boil it down to two things, it's trust and obey. Loving Christ means to trust Him and it means to obey Him. Look to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Notice what Jesus said on the subject of loving Christ and what, how we show our love for Him. John chapter 14, verse 15. This is in those last chapters from chapter 13 to 21 that occurred in the last days of Christ's life. Verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look down to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. There you see the love of the Trinity for the one who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. I'll never forget one time when I was a youth pastor doing music and youth combination. I was serving on church staff, and there was a teenage girl that 
I wanted to go and witness to. I went to her home. Her, her mother was home, and I, the mother was outside, and I told her that I wanted to come and talk with her daughter about spiritual things. Her daughter had not been in church, did not go to church. The thing, everything that I knew about her would lead me to believe that she did not know Christ. But when I told her mother what I wanted to talk to her about, she said, oh, my daughter is a Christian, said she loves Jesus. And, and I'm thinking, how do you fit that with the Word of God? This mother was a church member. Her daughter wasn't. The mother didn't go to church, neither did the daughter go to church, and yet she's telling me that her daughter loves the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. You'll keep my commandments. There's a connection between loving Christ and doing what he says. Another passage is over in 1 John. There's several verses I want to show you. In 1 John chapter 2, we'll start there. The little small book, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There's three little short letters. 1st John has five chapters. We come to chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. That means to know, that's how we know, this is how we know we're a Christian. If we keep His commandments. The one who says, I've come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Our obedience to Christ is a reflection of of our love for Him. If we love the Lord, we will certainly have a desire, though our obedience will not always be perfect, it will always be an obedience that is being pursued in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We, We long to please Him. We long to do His will. We long to keep His Word, even as imperfect sometimes it will be. And then also in chapter 3, verse 5. That's not the exact verse. Well... I'll give it to you real quick. Hang on a second. First John chapter, uh, First John chapter five, verse three. Had it reversed. First John chapter five, verse three. Notice what the scripture says here. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For, for who, whatever, and we could say whoever, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So the Bible tells us in verse 3 that this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. This is how we show that we love God is that we keep His commandments. I want to ask you the question again I asked earlier. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart? All of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. What does that mean? It means that you love Him with the very core of your being. You love Him completely. You love Him totally. You love Him with your emotions. You love Him with your intellect. And you love Him with every ability you have. Everything you are, you, with your total being, that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So your choice is, are you going to love the world or are you going to love Christ? You can't hold on to the world and hold on to Christ. You have to separate yourself from the world. The Bible says that we're to come out from the world and be separate. We're not to live like the world. Our morals are not to be like the, those who do not know Christ. It doesn't mean that everybody that doesn't know Christ uh, is immoral in every way. But in general, those without Christ do live immorally. Sometimes in the church we commit immorality. Sometimes uh, we fail in our Christian lives. But it doesn't mean that we, uh, that is not the, God's plan for us. And so we have to be willing to not be like the world. We have to turn away from our sin. We have to turn away from immorality. We have to turn away from drunkenness. We have to turn away from sensuality and lustful desires. We have to turn away from those sins. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible makes it really clear of the separation that must come between us and the world. Especially as we look at the fact that we're in the last days. Romans chapter 13, near the end of near the end of that book. Notice what the scripture says. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And this do knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Then he's going to get specific in verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Now, some of us do good in some of those first things, but when we come to the strife and jealousy part, and the Bible talks about pride, talks about sins such as pride and jealousy and unforgiveness and other sins that are just as wrong as, as some of these sins that we think of as being the worst of sins. But we're to put off all of those things. Everything that's not like Jesus Christ, we're to put out of our life. Verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to his lust. So let me sum it up this way. We're to be different from the world in the way we speak, the way we talk, the language that we use. We're to use language that would, that would communicate to other people that we are believers, that we're Christians. We shouldn't let the language of the world become our language. We should not let the language that's portrayed in the movies and on TV and in videos and in the hallways of the schools, that is not to become the language of a believer. We're not to let the habits of the world become the habits in our lives. We are not to look like the world. We are to look like Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to set your affection on the Lord Jesus, to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let love characterize us in everything that we do. When you read the Word of God, do it out of a love for Christ. When you come to church, do it out of a love for Jesus Christ. When we sing the songs that we sing, do it as a, out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be consumed with His love for us and our love for Him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Put off the old man, be renewed in your minds, and put on the new man. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word teaches us 
so much about your love for us, but also so much about how we are to love you completely and fully. Forgive us, Father, where we have been led astray in our devotion to you. Forgive us, Father, where we have let other people and things and habits come between you and us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have failed you and sinned and disobeyed. Lord, we do want to live for you. We do want to obey your commands. We do want to show you our love and the way that we talk and the way that we live each day. Father, I pray as we go into the schools this week, as we go into the workplaces this week, as we go about our daily routines this week, that everything we do would show Christ. Lord, help us to come out from the world and be separate. Help us to live differently. Help us to live as if Jesus lives in us because you do. Help us to live, Father, under the control of your Holy Spirit. We know that we cannot trust the flesh. We must, uh, the flesh is, is weak. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And we must daily trust you and put all of our trust and dependence on you, Father, to live a holy life, a godly life, a life that reflects Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for all of those in this room tonight. I pray for these little children as they go to school this week. Lord, and there's pressures. They're going to hear all kinds of language. And our teenagers, and they're going to hear the language of the world. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them the, the power and the ability and the desire to show their love for you by not compromising, not talking like the world, not dressing immodestly like the world not taking up the deeds of the flesh like the world, not polluting their bodies like the world, but, Lord, that our bodies would be set apart for you, holy, pure, and devoted to be given in service to you. Thank you for your presence here tonight. Guide us now in our invitation. If there's anyone in this room without Jesus, I pray that your spirit would bring a conviction of sin and a need to be saved and made into a right relationship with you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let us sing our hymn of decision, our song of decision. And as we do, I'd like to encourage you to come. For one, to come to Christ. Secondly, to come to be a part of His church. If you're, if you're a part of a church somewhere else, where you lived before or where you've worship before and God is leading you to be a part of this church, we open the doors of, fellowship, of the fellowship of our church. This altar is open for you to come and pray and bear your heart and bear your burdens before the Lord. He is a God who hears our prayers. He is a God who loves us and desires to enable us to be all that we want to be. But we need to be honest with Him. We need to confess our sins to Him. And we need to walk in obedience to Him each and every day. Let's sing together.